Welcome to Commercial Conversations Over Coffee, the show where two college dropouts turned real estate millionaires discuss all aspects of commercial real estate investing. Now, welcome your hosts, Tyler Cobble and apartment guy, Bruce Peterson. It is finally Friday. It feels like this week has been going on forever because Bruce and I are getting ready to release our next investment offering, which is always fun to prepare for. Bruce, how's that been going on your end, just getting ready for everything we've got going on? Oh, it's great. My part of the deal is, uh, you know, getting all the underwriting and details from you guys and sending that over to the syndication attorney and just kind of working through that process. So everything's going really well on this end. We're almost ready to uh, to release it to the friends and family that we will be inviting in. Yeah, I'm excited. It's been it's been a lot of work. Uh, this is a pretty unique project and and uh, the team has been working really hard on it. So I if you can't tell, I'm exhausted. Um, and uh, we're going to be recording the webinar for that uh, right after this, actually. So that's one thing that we always do um, for our investments. By the way, guys, I highly recommend that you do that. Um, of course, you know, whenever we're going through a syndication, we put together an offering memorandum. We'll do, um, you know, some one pagers. But I think that having investor calls um, or, or a webinar that you can send out to everybody so that they can actually watch you go through and explain everything is a phenomenal way of selling your investors on really what the project is and telling them what it is, right? Because it's one thing to look at a piece of paper and it's a whole different concept to have somebody actually explain to you what's going to be going on. So um, I actually got that that idea from Bruce. He's been doing webinars forever. I mean, Bruce, how, how have you seen those impact your capital raises? Oh, it, it makes a big difference. So what will happen usually is you'll have a list of prospective investors that you send your deal out to. And then I always follow it up with, hey, and guys, uh, I want to send out an email shortly after this, and we will schedule the, the first webinar. Uh, feel free to jump on. I can house, uh, host usually 1,000 people, but for those that can't make it, I will record it and send it out to all. What usually happens is, like you said, it, it gives people a way to ask questions. It gets people more comfortable. Instead of just looking at a, uh, uh, you know, a piece of paper, so to speak, online, they actually get interaction because we allow people to ask questions while they're there. I usually have about 30 to 45 minutes. The longest it's ever gone is an hour. And then I leave the last 15 to 30 minutes for questions. And again, it's get, it gets recorded, we send it out. So what ends up happening a lot, I make it available to all of my investor list, my friends and family list to, to listen to it. Even if they say, you know, money's not right right now. I just de deployed a lot of cash or, you know, I had some family thing come up, so I don't have any money right now. So thanks, but I, I can't make this one. I'm still going to send them the invite because I want them to see the projects that we work on. I want them to see how we conduct ourselves, uh, get to know us a little better. And invariably, you know, maybe five or 10 people on a 50 to 100 person investor um, project will come in because they saw the webinar. So those of you that want to do syndications, I can't highly enough recommend doing a webinar because you will convert people that are on the fence. They think, yeah, this this, yeah, this looks okay. Because again, they're looking at pictures, they're looking at projections, some numbers, but when they get to hear you talk about it and answer questions from people that come in, it really can't make a difference. The key thing to remember or to know on this deal, for those of you that are listening, this is a podcast that goes out to the general public. Anybody can listen to this. The webinar we're going to do is only for our friends and family, people that we have a pre-existing relationship with. If you if we don't have that with you, 
you are not going to get this because of the way we are structuring this deal. If you are interested in investing with us potentially, reach out to us, let us know. We'll start working with you on building that relationship uh, together. And then maybe a future deal you can come in with us on. But this one is only for friends and family, people with a pre-existing relationship before the deal came about. That's exactly right. So we're doing a 506B on this one, which again, as Bruce said, is a, a, a friends and family raise. And uh, But you know, you can always get on that list if you want to, as Bruce said, just reach out and start start building that relationship with us. I mean, it's uh, as an investor, it's, it's intelligent on your part to do that. You want to get to know us a little bit better. Uh, but on our, our side as well, I mean, we want to know who is investing in our deals. So that's why we like doing the, the friends and family. You know, we know everybody that's in the deal. We, we're, we're comfortable with who we're working with because at the end of the day, we're partners, right? Um, you know, even though our investors are, are LPs, limited partners, they, they still are our partners in the deal. So, well, Bruce, what else have you had going on this week? Well, got a 48-unit uh, LOI accepted. So hopefully we'll be under contract Congrats. fully today or Monday. That's what I'm hoping. I got word through the grapevine. Haven't heard it directly from the broker, but the grapevine has told me that I also got – I made best and final uh, in 170 uh, roughly sized units. That was a weird way to say that. Roughly 170 unit property in San Antonio. So we made best and final is what I'm hearing. So uh, we'll put our pencils you know, to paper and kind of see what we can come up with from where we are, see what my best possible price is going to be, and try to get this deal under wraps too. So things are really good. You know, we've got this, you know, we got Salt Ranch running you and I, and then we've got two potential deals running on our side. Um, in addition to Dickerson, Newell, um, we've just got so many things. Oh, Madison, we've got so many things running right now. It's the only way I like to do it, right? I want to stay busy, and we, we still have bandwidth. It's not like we're getting st stressed or we're getting, like, overrun by this because we have staff. We have people to do this with us. We're not doing it by ourselves. If we did this by ourselves, Tyler and I would both be dead. But yeah, that's not the way this many works. projects going on. We have like two <laughs> projects. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, in the last six months, I think I've hired like five or six people. I mean, you, just, you have to. If you're, if you're going to continue growing um, your your investment portfolio, you've got to start bringing in the right the right team to, to help with that. And it's, you know, it helps a lot, right? I mean, now I've got two guys on staff that went to Vandy, and they're my, my analysts and asset manager. I mean, uh, you know, having guys like that with that experience, that – that knowledge um, makes such a big difference. I mean, of course, I've got that, right, because I've been in the business for eight years. But you have people who are actually trained on how to build spreadsheets to underwrite deals. And you have people who are who are trained on how to research uh, thoroughly all of these kinds of projects. It just makes everything better. So it's exciting. Every project that we do is that much better than the last one, um, which is how it always should be. Yep. See, so things are going well for both of us. You know, I got Google Fiber finally installed last week, so I'm hoping my internet wow. connection won't freeze up as much. I'm there running uh, gig speed. I'm running like 920 gig, uh, I mean, uh, meg upload speeds. So hopefully everything will run smoother now. Yeah, actually, you do have much better video quality. That's, uh, that's pretty nice. So, I'm yeah, ugly, so I don't know if that's necessarily YouTube. a good thing. <laughs> yeah, so if you're joining <laughs> us on YouTube, unfortunately, you're going to have to look at Bruce's face uh, in HD now. <laughs> Yeah, and see all the gray hairs that you can really see now. <laughs> uh, that's exactly right. 
Well, today, today I wanted to talk about uh, utilizing debt in real estate. You know, there's so being from Nashville, Dave Ramsey is a very popular financial advisor, right? And he he comes from the background of debt is debt is bad. Don't ever use debt um, because you know it'll it'll come back and bite you. And uh, there are a lot of people that, that subscribe to that mentality. And, and when you when you look at real estate. There are two different trains of thought, right? There, are, there is my uh, my grandfather's train of thought, which is the old school. Nope, I'm going to pay cash for every investment that I do, and that way the bank can never come and foreclose on it, and I don't have to take the risk of worrying about somebody else, you know, taking this away from me. And then there's the uh, I'm going to leverage as much as I possibly can uh, in order to put, you know, little to no capital into this deal to maximize my returns and keep my capital free so I can go to the next one and I'm willing to take that risk. So, you know, there, there's, there are two completely different trains of thought. And uh, so I wanted to discuss that today with you, Bruce. I mean, what are your, first, what are your thoughts on, on what Dave Ramsey preaches in, in terms of no debt, debt is bad? Right, so the first thing I wanted to do is kind of clarify that I don't listen to him anymore, I used to. So he may have changed his message over the years that I quit listening to him. I quit following him about seven or eight years ago. But back then, anyways, is, yeah, d uh, debt is evil. It's reckless. The whole goal for him and his listeners and his students are to someday, hopefully, be able to call him on his radio show and go, woo-hoo. Woo-hoo means I paid off my house. I think that's a bad idea. You know, people will say, well, but then I'm, I'm saving the interest payments. Okay. Oh, well, now they can't take my house away from me. Okay. Let, let's talk about those things. Neither one of those are really great. Uh, the second one, they can't take my house away from me. That's a load of shit. Don't pay your taxes. Your house is gone. See what happens. Right? So you are safer. I'll give you that. No question about it. But you can still lose your house. So if you're doing it to save, just, you know, create the inability for anybody to take your house from you because I don't owe anybody. Well, you owe taxes. You owe insurance. If something happens and the thing burns to the ground, you don't have insurance, you know, so that's a different conversation completely. But again, people can't take your house from you. But then also the big thing I think for people is, um, well, now I don't have uh, a loan, so I'm going to save interest payments. That's valid. I understand that. But let's think about it. Let's say uh, you've had a house for 10 years and let's say that house is 10% interest. So if you paid it all, if you paid cash way back then, because you didn't want to pay that 8% interest back then, and really close to that now, I can show you how to invest that same amount of money and make 10 to 15 or 20% per year on that. When you factor in the cash flow, when you factor in the uh, profit from sale or a cash out refi type of scenario, and then you get all kinds of tax benefits on top of that. You know, I think trying to save the interest, especially today when you're paying sub 3% interest, to save that interest, let's pay all cash. Well, okay, let's say you buy a $100,000 house because you don't want to pay uh, in cash because you don't want to pay the interest. And nobody could take my house away from me if I pay cash. Okay, let's look at the interest. 3% a year that I can now take that money, that $100,000, and I can go out, get a loan, have 20% down and $80,000 loans so and I can take that down pay. I mean that $80,000 back out and go invest it. Now, if I can invest it at 10%, I'll make $8,000 a year. 
So I'm investing it at 8%, but I'm saving 3%. I think it's better to invest at 8% in something that's safe, logical, rational, with tax advantages out the ass, rather than trying to save on that interest. Because again, people can still take your house away from you. It's a little more difficult, like I said, but also think about the person that calls in and goes, woohoo, I paid off my house. Hey, dude, you got to go to work tomorrow. I don't because I invest my money, right? Dave Ramsey, I believe I'm on a rant. Sorry, I'm, I'm going way too long in this, but Dave Ramsey, I believe is important for those that are financially broken, not for those that are broke, but those that are financially broken. If you can't control yourself, if you're addicted to debt, like addicted to Coke, or weed, or alcohol, or whatever else that you could be addicted to. If you're addicted to debt and you misuse it, it will destroy you. He takes the approach that I have to protect you from you because you're a moron, and I'm going to do everything I can. He's got a good product if that's who you are. If you are not financially broken, don't listen to him. That's the starter that, that's the uh, like training wheels to get you on sound financial ground. But if you're already there, don't live that way. Enjoy your life. Invest your money. So anyways, that's my thought. I don't think you should ever pay off a piece of real estate. Yeah, I look at debt as a tool, right? Like let's, let's compare debt to a <laughs> knife, right? The sharper it is, the better you are, the better skilled you are with it, the easier it is for you to, to prepare your dinner. But if you have no idea how to use a knife and it's really sharp because I tend to be that way, you can cut your finger off. Right. And it just it, it that is all that debt is. It is a tool that as long as you know how to use it properly, it can really make things way easier and faster for you. I mean, it's honestly I mean, debt is one of the most beautiful aspects of real estate investing. I don't think that real estate would be as popular of an investment strategy if leverage did not exist, because now you're comparing almost apples to apples with the stock market. Now, of course, you still have depreciation and some other some other aspects like that. But if I've got to come out and buy, pay cash for a real estate investment, think about how long it's going to take me to save up that amount of money, right? I mean, even if you're making a million dollars a year and you want to buy a $10 million office building, it, you, you're going to have to save up for longer than 10 years, right? Because you can't just save a million dollars a year. It would take forever. I, I, to me, it's, it, it's kind of a no-brainer. What do you think about people that, um, that want to pay off their house and – still use debt for other things you think you should ever pay off your house well so everybody has their own thing right it, i'm telling you what i believe i believe i don't want to pay off real estate for some people it's the right thing because their personality is such i need the implied safety of a paid in full house there's nothing wrong with that there's not a right or wrong answer here to me honestly for me there is for you there might not it might not be the same answer as mine so it's never black and white the thing that I can't quantify is the quality of life for people. I want to have a house that I can change around. I can remodel if I choose. I want to own my own house. I, I get it, and there's something to that. But if you're only looking at it from a financial exercise, I think 90 to 95% of the nation should not own a house. Because again, let's say in Austin, we're getting close to $500,000 median house uh, price. So let's say you go buy a $500,000 house. You're going to come up with 20% down with a you know conventional mortgage. There are other things out there for 0 or 3% down. Though, okay, that debt to me is risky. 
you can go too far on the debt spectrum, put too much leverage on a deal, and now you have no margin of safety. If I want to put 20 to 30% down on a property, that's equity in the property. That even if I sell it at a 30% discount, if I only have a 70% loan, I still break even. So you can't abuse debt. Like we said, I believe in debt. So some people decide they want to pay their house off, you know, that $500,000 house, that 20% down payment, that's $100,000, right? So that $100,000 you could have used to invest and make 8,000 to 10 to maybe even $20,000 per year. It's just such a better way to go about this, I think. Now, go pay cash for your house when you have $100 million in the bank and you want to write a check for a million-dollar house, a $5 million house, totally fine. If you if you and your family's financial uh, life is not where you want it to be ultimately, don't go put 20% down on a house because your friends did. Because I don't want to look like an idiot. I don't want to look like a loser because all my friends own their own house. Well, guess what? Most of your friends are only doing this shit because they want to make sure you think they're doing well. Most of them are comparing themselves to each other. It's keeping up with the Joneses, right? The Joneses are usually broke. Why the hell do I want to keep up with those jackasses? That makes no sense to me. Get your freaking ego out of it. It doesn't matter where you live. It's a place to shelter you from the cold a place to lay your head at night. Use the money you would have used to buy that house to go invest. That creates a better life for you and your family. Oh, but Bruce, real estate goes up. What happened in 2008? Didn't go up. 2009, 2010, it didn't go up. So if you say, oh, well, it's, it's an investment. No, it's not an investment. It takes money out of your pocket every single month through debt payments, through uh, maintenance that you will not have to pay if you go rent in an apartment complex. I know that's tough for some people to think about, but again, it's just a better financial thing to do to rent. I rented uh, until I started buying apartment complexes and an apartment complex myself. It just makes more sense for me. So again, that's my belief. I think it's more important to lay groundwork and a foundation for a better future rather than trying to keep up with the broke asses on either side of me in my neighborhood, right? Because they're all over leveraged, sending their kids to colleges they probably can't afford. Now that's not everybody's situation, of course, but that's what happens very, very often. We buy houses, we buy watches, we buy cars because of what my neighbors think. Who gives a shit what your neighbors think? You know, I'll laugh 10 years from now when I am retired, financially secure, and stable while they're still bleeding out their eyeballs because they've got debt on everything. And, you know, they can't even afford to pay the interest on the life they have anymore. That just, it's an asinine thought process. Anyways, my thoughts. Yeah. I, look, I still rent, right? I mean, I own seven or eight commercial properties now and I still rent. It doesn't make any sense for me to go buy a house because I can, I can utilize that equity in a much more strategic manner um, and also there's many benefits to renting that I don't have to put up with, right? I don't have time to deal with a roof leak at my house. So if that happens, I tell the landlord, they take care of it. I don't have to deal with it. I get to go on and make money because that's, I mean, I get to go reinvest my capital elsewhere because that's my best return. You know, we talk about uh, the return on equity is a, is a capital measurement that a lot of people don't really look at. If you're buying something in all cash, of course, you're going to be looking at your return on equity because that is literally your return on investment. Um, but, you know, let's say you're looking at a $100,000 piece of property that's giving you $10,000 a year, right? If I put in 
a $20,000 down payment, right? That's it. That is a 50% cash on cash return or a 50% return on equity, right? That same property, if I pay cash for it, $100,000, $10,000 a year, that's one fifth. That is 10% cash on cash or 10% return on equity. Now, over the years, when return on equity really starts becoming important is as you've built equity into the property, we always look at our, you know, we're constantly analyzing that to see, okay, how much more value have we created in this project? And what can we refinance, put new debt on the property to pull out? Because then I can use that money to go buy another property. You know, we do that all the time. I mean, we're looking at a, um, you know, I bought a 2,000 square foot little strip center. Uh, it was a single tenant retail building in East Nashville. And I bought it for $412,000 back in August. We signed a lease and the bank appraised it at like six dollars dollars or $700,000, right? So as soon as the tenant is done with their build out and our, our, our you know, term period where we get penalized for refinancing is up, which I think is year two, we're going to refinance and pull out all that equity because it's basically trapped equity, right? We're still going to get a great return on the property, but we're going to take that capital and go reinvest it into another one. And I don't even have to go out and make money to buy the next property. I could just use the equity in that property, basically take on some debt and go buy another property. So it just, it, to me, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, Bruce. I think, I think as long as you understand how to utilize debt, um, there's no reason for you to not do it. And that's the thing, right? I mean, how often are people taught how to, how to properly utilize debt? Most people have no idea how to use leverage. And if you're buying the right property, if you're making the right investment, you shouldn't be worried at all about debt, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of my philosophy on it. Right. And I love your thought about return on equity. Basically, you're getting into a cap rate if you're thinking about commercial real estate. So cap rates are figured on what is my expected return based on the amount of money uh, it took to buy that thing all cash. So it's basically the exact same exercise. Um, but let, let's go back and talk about the appreciation that some people might say, well, I'm going to get appreciation when I put money into you know buying my own house. Well, first of all, you'll get it when you buy investment real estate as well. But think about this. You're making cash flow while you're holding that and riding that appreciation wave up. You think it's going to happen. If you're buying only for appreciation, reckless, because it might not, like we talked about 2008 or nine. But now let's think about it. Let's say you buy a million-dollar commercial asset. Now, I'm just randomly picking a million. You could drop you know, a zero and say it's 100,000. You could add a zero, say it's 10 million. It's all the exact same concept, exact same math. So let's say you get a 20% down payment to buy this million dollar piece of property and you've got to do some rehab. You've got some closing costs and let's say that's another 10%. So 20% down payment, 10% in additional costs to get this thing. You're all in 30%. So you're all in $300,000 to buy this million dollar piece of property. Let's say the asset goes up 3%. Now, I'm going to be making some notes here as I go because I don't want to erase the stuff on my whiteboard behind me to illustrate this. So let's say the million-dollar property goes up 3%, and that's kind of historical average, sometimes a little higher, sometimes a little lower, but on average, 3%, 3.5%. So 3% means it goes up $30,000, okay? So the value of the property went up 3% or $30,000, but remember – you have now put safe levels of debt on this piece of property. Your all-in was 30% or $300,000. So if you're all-in at $300,000 and your only your appreciation went up 
that's $30,000. That's a 10% return instead of 3% appreciation. 3% appreciation in this scenario turns into a 10% gain, right? Again, you shouldn't be buying for appreciation purposes. You're happy when that happens. I think you should be buying for cash flow. Try to buy some things undervalued if you can, but buy for cash flow primarily, and then be happy if there is market appreciation along the way. In commercial, you can force appreciation by creating all kinds of different revenue streams and all kinds of things. So, but but that's kind of the backbone and you know, kind of the backstory, if you will, behind leverage. Take out safe levels of debt. Don't take out 97% debt. Don't take out 100% debt. If there's a hiccup in the market, you're screwed. So there are reckless ways to do it. But again, hopefully that kind of illustrates your your point, Tyler, about the return on equity thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that no debt at all is silly. I think that all debt is silly, right? I mean, there's a there's a fine balance between, you know, how do you properly utilize this tool to make it make the most for you, right? I mean, like you said, you get 100% debt on a property and something swings the wrong way, you, you are very quickly going to be underwater and you do not want to be there. And, you know, same goes with, with no debt. I mean, you're, you're, you've got too much cash into the deal doing nothing for you. I mean, look, we've had clients look at 50% loan to value, right? So they're, they're bringing 50% of the cash to the table. They're bringing 50% debt to the table. I've had clients look at even more than that, right? Because, you know, they've, they're, they're at a different stage in their lives. They don't really want to take on more debt. They just want to keep their, their cash rolling, but they also know they can't have 100% cash in a deal. It just doesn't give them a good return. So, you know, at the, at the end of the day, it depends on your investment criteria and, and, and your, your uh, risk aversion. Bruce and I are both at points in our lives where, you know, we want to aggressively grow our portfolios. That doesn't mean that we're going to go out and leverage too high, but it means that we are going to to use the right balance of debt on our properties, and we're not going to pay all cash for something. Exactly. And so another part of this, you know, because our podcast is based around commercial real estate. So let's keep talking about that. So let's say you buy a property and you pay all cash right now the markets uh for commercial properties in austin and probably uh nashville are about the same is about five six seven percent cap rates meaning let's say, take the middle five six seven let's say six percent a six cap that you're going to pay to buy the property is going to give you if you pay all cash a six percent return that's your profit it's going to be six percent that's what a cap rate is if you put debt on it safe levels of debt say maybe 70 or 80% debt, instead of making a 6% cap rate or return on that cash, now because it's levered, that's probably gonna make you eight to 12%. It's probably gonna be 10 to 12%. I don't think it'll be as low as eight right now. It's probably gonna be about 10 to 12%. So there's a massive difference there. But another big, big, big benefit to putting debt on a property when you're buying commercial real estate, who's your biggest partner in a deal? It's your lender. Your lender is way more sophisticated than you are, way more sophisticated than I am, but they're going to be your biggest partner. They're going to also come out and do due diligence on this project, not just you. You're not as sophisticated as them. You might miss something. Even if you're super successful, super experienced, any one person can miss things. You have a lender come out and look at things. They might see things that you didn't see. So they are the biggest partner in your deal, and they're also going to put a very sophisticated eye on your project. They might go, oh, uh, we're not going to lend on this because this is reckless because of this. You think, oh, 
I didn't even notice that. I'm so glad you're on my team. Or you get pissed off and go, ah, you know what? Then I'll just go pay cash for it. Well, you probably should have listened to that lender that wasn't willing to lend. There's a reason they weren't going to lend on that property. Maybe you shouldn't be buying that property. So I think that's another hidden benefit that people don't think about. You have a crazy smart guy on your bench as your biggest partner. It never hurts to have another perspective. I had a, I had a meeting with a, with a um, real estate investor here in Nashville that reached out to me that wanted to start investing in our projects. And, and he said, you know, look, I, uh, I'm, I'm happy to just bring capital to the deal. But, you know, if you ever want a, a, another real, real estate investor's perspective, I'm happy to give that as well. And I mean, we had that whole conversation. In my opinion, it never hurts as long as you're taking the right advice, because there are plenty of people that have no idea what the hell they're doing that you should never take advice from. But somebody that's been in real estate for 30, 40 years in Nashville, if I bring them a project and he says, no, I'm not interested in putting my capital into this, I want to know why, because maybe there's a red flag that I'm just missing. I mean, what, what is going on? Or, or, you know, maybe it will cement further why I believe in that deal because maybe they're the ones that are missing it. So, you know, either way, it's, it, it doesn't hurt to have that perspective because uh, it, it's only going to make your deal better. I agree completely. That's why I, you know, having a bank in your deal, a lender in your deal, it's not always fun, right? They're going to, they're going to crawl up your ass, but you know, at, at the end of the day, it's all for the best because they're trying to make sure you are financially sound enough to buy this asset. You know, if every dime you have goes into this asset, you have nothing left in a bank account somewhere. That's reckless. But a lot of people would probably do that because they're type A personalities and it just, oh, I got to get this deal. It's going to work. I can't let it go. A lender is never going to let you do that. You have to have post-liquid funds, meaning the day you close, you put all your money into down payment, rehab, all this stuff. How much money do you have left over on the side in case something goes wrong? Left to our own devices, many people will not have emergency funds. What happened in COVID? How many people have out there listening to us? Thank God it's not interactive or live uh, where we can see you because I don't want you to raise your hand and embarrass yourself. But how? I can't tell you how many people that I've talked to and investors that I have that we learned they didn't have ample reserves because COVID hit and they're in a panic. I need distributions. Well, guys, I'm not sending out distributions during COVID. So lots of people don't have personal reserves and uh, a bank's going to make sure you do. Yeah. And look, I, if, if I've got a choice of putting $100,000 into a deal or putting $20,000 and then keeping 80000 on the sideline just to make sure that I've got enough money in case anything else happens, I'm taking that deal all day, all day. So that's uh, Bruce. Is there anything else that you want to touch on with regards to you know utilizing debt in real estate? Not really. Again, a lot of people don't share my view, and that's totally fine. And, well, I, you know, you all have to make your own decisions, but this is just the way I believe there's better use of your cash if your financial house is not where you want it to be. I actually pulled my Instagram followers this morning in anticipation of us doing this show, and it was either 93 or 95% of the respondents said utilize debt. Uh, so I guess that might show you who my audience is, but also, I mean, that, that shows you that I mean, a lot of people are kind of on the same page that we are. So uh, if you're if you're listening, if, if you're watching on YouTube, you're listening on the podcast, let us know in the comments, what are your thoughts on utilizing debt? I mean, do you prefer to, to leverage all the way all to the moon? Do you do you like to pay all cash? Do you go somewhere in between? Let us know, um, you know, which you prefer and why. 
and and we'll keep we'll keep everything coming at you. We'd love to to open up that conversation with you guys and 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 talk about that. So right, and we'll be respectful in in our discourse with you. You know, don't again. My answer might not be right for you, so I'm never going to go. Oh, you're so wrong. No, please don't do that to me. If you do that to me, that's fine. I can't control what the hell you're going to do. But so many people are that way too. They're so polarized. They're so black or white, very binary. It's either right or it's wrong. No, it's not right or wrong. For me, it's not right. I think for most people, it shouldn't be right, but everybody has their own view. Give us your view in the comments. We might have a different view, but we'll talk about it. I want to know why you feel that way. Maybe you can teach me some things that I haven't even thought about. So it'll be respectful. There will be no trolling. There will be no flaming of people. It'll be just people talking about why I believe what I believe in and be respected for that. Absolutely. Well, thank you all for joining us. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Please rate and review in iTunes if you're listening to the podcast. And we will see you guys next week. Peace, guys.